Hello and welcome to Retrospection Radio Live. I am your ever-present host, Noah Martin, and joining me once again is Mr. Shane Thrapp. Uh, thanks for having me again. I really appreciate it. So last time, if you haven't listened to the last episode, uh, we talked a lot about ADHD and parenting and the school system and specifically how the school system is basically designed to uh, not help you out as you go through school. And so tonight I wanted to go back to this idea, but kind of narrow down a little bit more on what it's like to be a parent with ADHD looking after um, children with ADHD who go into a school system like this. So with a quick kind of recap, the some of the stuff that we discussed had to do with how testing is really just stacked against your kids. Um, it is really not designed to help people excel and to show off the knowledge that they've learned if they even learn through school and that brings up another thing is that school isn't really great at teaching um a lot of the times what happens is it just they throw a whole bunch of subjects at you but none of them really matter but it's what the curriculum has said is what is common knowledge of everyone else they don't help you learn or define any skills they don't help you look at the rest of your life that you're going to be living or even prepare you for living your life in the first place. It's a glorified daycare. Um, and one of the points that I brought up last time was that the school has been designed um, since the late 1800s and early 1900s to be set up like a factory. So you've got all the bells telling you, all right, you spend this time here, do this thing for however long. Bell goes off, you now move, you will go here, you will do this. Bell will go off again, you will go here, and you will do this. That's really not how people work. And with my own personal experience, this past semester I got an internship, and I am working at a really awesome audio-visual place that does a lot of really amazing work and really has inspirational people that I work with. The building is designed in such a way that there are no doors on the outer walls um, leading into the rooms, and the inner walls have rooms. So it's set up in a giant cube with a cube inside of it. Um, and the outside cube, no doors, inside cube, doors. And what this does is it encourages employees to get up and just move and go about and do stuff. And it has been an amazing work environment to work on something and then say, you know, I just, I need to go talk with someone and just hash out these ideas or even just think for myself for a minute and just talk about like you know, puppies or something fun. And it's this really amazing work environment that encourages and nurtures creativity and production and bouncing ideas off of other people. And that's one thing that throughout my entire life of public school 
and private college, I've never ever had an experience while working where I can just get up, walk away, and interact with other people without fear of being reprimanded with people writing you up or sending you to the principal's office or, you know, taking away your recess or giving you a detention or, you know, taking away your scholarship, whatever consequences there are for not doing exactly what you're told at exactly the right minute. Um, and so being able to work in an environment like that, I, I felt my own productivity just increase and my actual desire to work and be at work and be surrounded by these people is an experience I've never had before in my life because a lot of the times it's like oh I've got work in 30 minutes but for me it's been oh I've got work in 30 minutes and it's a completely different mindset I think if we took that approach and this is just finishing up the summation of our previous episode if we took this approach of treating humans like humans instead of nice little robots um, a, a lot of people would be a lot happier and it'd be a lot easier to explore what it is that you might do with your life so I'm going to circle back around with that synopsis kind of done and those thoughts out um, congratulations by the way on uh I, I was about to call it a promotion. I mean, I suppose it kind of is a promotion. You went from a member to, you know, a, uh, an admin. How did that all work out? Um, so I joined a, a group specifically for men, uh, adult men with ADHD, where uh, men would have kind of a safe space to be able to say uh, essentially what they wanted to say and, and kind of ask questions in an environment where they didn't feel like there would be a lot of pressure and you know, uh, there wasn't a lot of uh, expectations and there wasn't this, um, if they said needed to vent about their wives or their husbands or uh, things of that nature, they just needed a space kind of to go there and actually, you know, be able to have those conversations that in mixed company is kind of difficult. And I don't mean like the toxic conversations and, and toxic ways of talking about your spouses and things of that nature. And uh, as I've been a moderator there now, I, I, there's very little of that happening. But just because as men, we're kind of conditioned to uh, hold everything in and, and, and we don't really have a, an environment to kind of push stuff out there where, you know, it's okay to kind of say some of the stuff that we say. And, uh, you know, I kind of wanted to get more involved with it. And as an ADHD life coach, I just really wanted to kind of you know, also learn as much as I could from how people deal with it, because I have my clients that I've worked with and things of that nature, but not everybody is the same. So you want to just kind of immerse yourself into that world. And as we count, as I kind of started commenting and, and talking to people more, I kind of got the attention of a couple of the moderators and um, they have, you know, biweekly support groups where you can go and uh, be in these Zoom calls and kind of have discussions about a, a set subject and it's moderated so that, you know, since we have ADHD, we don't go off into too many tangents. Um, and, you know, the more we did it, the more I was like, hey, I want to see if I can get more involved. And so I contacted the uh, the head admin and I said, hey, you know, I, you know, this is my background, this is my history. And we had a phone call. And as we kind of went over the phone call, he kind of asked me, you know, 
like, how do you deal with ADHD? How do you help your clients with ADHD? And a lot of my values kind of went in line with what he, uh, he himself does as a public speaker. And he brought me in as a moderator. And uh, I'm just honored to be completely truthful, you know, to be able to be a part of it because I, I absolutely love being able to, um, to have the, uh, the opportunity to kind of really help people um, bring value to what they're trying to learn about and understand what they're, um, you know, going through in ways where, you know, we can kind of actually see some growth and change in people. And um, I get to have events and organize virtual seminars to kind of go over various things. And uh, with my background in relationships, I get to kind of help these people because one of the biggest things we see are relationship issues with their uh, spouses and how to communicate with them. And that's my background. And so um, I get to kind of, you know, show off my brand a little bit as a, you know, there's a little bit of a privilege as a moderator, you get to kind of actually talk about your business and uh, you know, cause there, there's no spam that happens and it. it's not one of those coaching groups where, you know, they want to, you know, sell their, uh, their coaching tips or anything like that. It's a genuine support group. Um, so I'm really proud. I'm really happy about it. Yeah. That's awesome to hear. Um, you had mentioned a little bit about mental health and for listeners of retrospection radio live, uh, most of you will already, and actually, if you're just avid retrospection fans in general, you'll know that one of the subjects that retrospection talks a lot about is mental health, specifically mental health in men, but also women and, you know, other. And there are, everyone has their own different mental health, their own mental issues. Um, and one of the things uh, that the speaker Two weeks ago said mr michael overly uh, a quote that has been ringing in my mind for quite a while it is okay to not be okay and that is something that is extremely important especially for my fellow men out there i am currently working on a mini doc at that work i was talking about a mini documentary about men's health and specifically men's mental health because there are too many people that we lose to suicide and even worse things, um, hurting other people, robberies, uh, shootings, any of that. And mental health is extremely important to get out in the open. When you feel something, it is okay to feel something. Do not stop yourself from feeling it. And so if it's something like you know, ADHD, don't be ashamed if you have it or if you are diagnosed with it. Like, it is something you'll be living with and you can make the best of it. Um, and when it comes to other mental health things, it is okay to not be okay. It is okay to share those feelings, to express your feelings, um, because if you don't, the only person you're hurting is yourself. And you don't deserve that. You deserve so much better. So that's my little tangent. <laughs> um, mental health is just extremely important to me. And I just like making sure men know that 
you don't have to you don't have to be this stoic person all the time one of my favorite scenes of all time and i'm sure you might appreciate this um is in the fellowship of the ring and so aragorn just he's a badass he runs through he kills a whole bunch of urukai and then you have boromir who had just gotten a little bit corrupt and tried to steal the ring from frodo and then immediately said ah oh, crap and went and defended sam and mary uh or not sam sorry mary and pippin and defends them and actively dies defending them and so aragorn runs in kills the person who shot boromir multiple times and then kneels down next to him makes a promise with boromir's final moments and then cries for him and we actively see him on screen crying for his brother that and it's not actually his brother but you know um that makes him a stronger man that we see all of those emotions within him um now I gotta reel myself back uh, because I just went whoosh right off the left field. So, um, as a parent who's made um, a life out of learning and um, adapting with ADHD, um, you had mentioned at one point that your kids also had ADHD. What is it like to be a parent? Um, and live in a family like that? For me, there's a number of issues that I kind of dealt with, you know, with my first wife, she was fairly abusive. Um, we, we, we were just very not good together. Um, considering my childhood and, and the um, things that I went through because I had ADHD um, and having an a, you know, alcoholic abusive father and uh, growing up in an uber strict religious uh, community, there was a lot of things that happened to me that whenever I got older and I had my first two kids, I, I said, you know, like I kind of put my foot down, my metaphorical foot down. And I said, I'm not going to continue that cycle of, of abuse, you know, uh, because I, 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 you know, I was working a lot of hours and things of that nature. And I was really stressed out. And so I found myself kind of my, I found myself kind of falling into those old habits that I had learned from my father of um, spanking and um, losing my temper and yelling and things of that nature. And I, I got therapy and I started kind of really breaking down the trauma that was my, in my past and in my history. And I, you know, and, you know, like I said, I kind of put my foot down and said, okay, I'm going to be a better dad. And as I kind of started going through this process, I started trying to make sure that I was listening to my kids. I started doing a lot more research into healthy parenting, you know, finding out like the, the damage that happens, even if you do uh, just minor spanking and things of that nature and what that does to children's um, brains, both physiologically and mentally. And I, you know, the more I found it, the more I was discovering that, you know, you really have to work hard at it. And, you know, I didn't really know that I had ADHD. And, you know, I, I just always knew that I was weird. I was always different than everybody around me. I, I always had to wear that mask that you put on to, 
uh, hide who you are from the world because if you don't, then everybody kind of looks at you weirdly. They treat you differently. They, they you know, hold a stigma kind of towards you. And as I kind of started understanding a little bit more about my mentality and my mental health, uh, the more I kind of started learning more, uh, like, you know, going through the kind of the cycles that you go through when you're trying to figure out what all is going on with your brain. And so I, you know, my therapist and psychiatrist kind of both pointed out that they thought I had bipolar disorder. And as we kind of kept exploring that, my son, uh, one of the teachers, uh, said that, you know, they made the, an evaluation with the counselor and they said, well, your son has ADHD. And he was, uh, I want to say eight or 10 at the time. I can't remember uh, how old he was. And so now I have this new direction because once I started looking up what ADHD was, I learned that it was hereditary. And I felt a lot of guilt because I was like, oh shit, I gave my kid a, a, you know, ADHD. And you know, I started doing more research and I started really getting into trying to understand like, what does that look like? You know, what do I need to do to kind of help him out? How do I need to work with um, what he's dealing with and kind of learning about how to help him not act out in certain ways, how to help him with the behaviors that he had started developing, how to uh, work with his uh, mother. And, you know, she was really, she was really antagonistic towards the idea. She did, she never put a lot of stock in mental health and she never put a lot of stock in uh, therapy and psychiatry and she was very anti-medication. And so a lot of the onus of trying to help him like kind of boiled down to me. And, you know, with, and they didn't live very close to me. So it was really hard to have as much input as I wanted into his life. So I kind of just really did as much as I could to kind of help him. And then as he got older, he started kind of building up his own methodologies of how to work. And he kind of, and he's fairly successful now. He's 18 and uh, he's, he's doing pretty good. So along the way, um, you had mentioned that you helped him out, especially when it came to after the diagnosis and learning with ADHD and helping him overcome some of those obstacles. What were some of those early obstacles that he had to had to jump over um, to help to help with um, easing the stigma of ADHD within the school system and around his friends? Mainly, it was just kind of coming to terms that he did have ADHD. It was like actually defining it helped a lot because when you when you don't know that you have it, you feel a lot of guilt because you feel like you're failing all the time. And there's this stigma that comes and it comes from the teachers and it comes from parents who um, have this unrealistic expectation of what your your child is supposed to be, um, and that causes a lot of uh, internalized shame and but once you start finding out that it, it's a lot of the issues that you're dealing with are related to ADHD then you it kind of helps you kind of you know you know process it a little bit easier and so some of the things that he had to deal with was he was just super bored in, in, in school uh, he didn't really feel pushed by his teachers he didn't really feel 
that there was a lot of, uh, you know, he, but, you know, at the same time, he, you know, if he was bored, he really didn't seem to work very hard. And teachers kind of look down at him. They say, oh, he's not living up to his potential. Or, you know, he's really bright. He's really smart. He really does uh, work really hard, but he doesn't seem to uh, uh, put any effort into learning. And, you know, those well-meaning uh, phrases don't mean what you think they mean. And they're, they're signs that a teacher is having issues with your, with your child that they aren't really, uh, they're not really actually happy about, but they're not communicating with you either. And so one of the things that I, I you know, worked on and I work with clients on is, you know, you know, advocating for your child being, you know, understanding what they're going through and then working with the teachers and the school and the, uh, the counselor and the psychiatrist to make sure that the child has an environment that is safe and things of that nature. And that kind of runs into the different things that you have to uh, learn on your own, which is why you need to research as much as you can about ADHD. Um, you kind of have to kind of become, you know, you're a, a case manager for your kid. You you have to kind of build a a team, like with your wife, or you know, even if you're separated, you have to build this in uh, a group of people where the child can kind of go into and say, okay, these are the issues that I'm having, and these are why I'm doing these certain things. This is why I'm acting out. This is why my you know. And you have to provide that safe space for the child to learn how to communicate what they're feeling. Because when you have ADHD, you feel things very strongly. And if you have this uh, system that's around you that's been putting a lot of negativity on everything that you do because you don't seem to fit that status quo that we talked about in the last show, you, you start to feel a lot of sensitivity to rejection. And so then you have wind up with dealing with like rejection sensitivity dysphoria where you are just very sensitive and you can't handle um, negative criticisms in constructive ways. And you start blowing up when people kind of, when even when people are well-meaning and they're not actually criticizing you, they're just trying to discuss something with you, you, you react stronger than you should and there becomes this explosive anger uh, towards it. And so what we kind of really started working on was making sure that we developed a system so that like his issues were he was forgetting to bring home homework. He was, you know, even if he brought home homework, he just didn't forgot to turn it in. He'd have the homework in his backpack. He'd just forget to turn it in. He would uh, act out in class. He would, um, you know, he just wasn't, you know, he was just very antsy all the time. And that was kind of like where we started trying to learn how to, um, what he needed to kind of like uh, have the space to uh, constructively use the energy that he has. And one of our, one of the issues, major issues with our school system is the lack of uh, recesses now. Uh, the average recess in America is 25 minutes in, uh, in most states. And that's, uh, you know, according to science, is a lot less than what we should be giving our kids. The science says that the most um, 
productive use of the time is to have 60 minutes a day of activity where the children are outside and playing or uh, doing some sort of physical activities and things of that nature. And schools kind of make up for it with like physical education and things of that nature. But what we really need to start working on is just having free time where kids can just go somewhere. And like you were talking about earlier, just having the ability to walk away and, and, and kind of deal with whatever they're trying to process and, and have a space where they can talk to other people and explore what they're learning or talk about the latest YouTube videos or just kind of socializing or even in some workspaces I've seen where they have like areas where it's not allowed to kind of like to talk to uh, people who are in that area because it's kind of like the um, the the introverts area, the people who are really trying to concentrate, who don't want to be disturbed. And so there's like these little spaces where they can um, still kind of spread out and have a comfortable space and like sofas and uh, with uh, computer chairs and stuff like that. But like, it's known that in this area, people don't want you to come up and talk to them. They don't want you to kind of uh, interfere with what they're working on. They just need a space to themselves. It's not an enclosed cubicle. And so it was really trying to kind of give him the tools, uh, you know, and eventually give my daughter, uh, my, uh, my second daughter, the tools uh, to create the environment that they needed to thrive in. And that's kind of carrying over into what you want to do when you're trying to really help them in their schooling system is you want to you know, you need to understand your kids' rights as far as having ADHD, because ADHD is a is a um, is covered under the American Disabilities Act. You know, and you've got to communicate with your school and keep checking in with them. But not only that, you need to be checking in with your child. And that was one of the hardest thing I had to deal with because they're they were so far away from me that you know, and they kind of had you know we we all have that kind of aversion to talking on the phone and and so we kind of like had to kind of deal with like you know being able to you know text and things of that nature but then it's also checking with like i said it's communicating with the school and seeing like what kind of things are they having to deal with how, what kind of things are the teachers having to are observing about your your child and also are the teachers being fair to your uh, child this is where the advocacy comes from like a lot of teachers really do their best because if you're a teacher in America, you're not getting paid for it uh, uh, very well. So if you're a teacher in America, you love what you do. Like that's a that's a, a pretty common thing that I see across the nation. But there are some teachers who don't believe in ADHD or don't feel that it's actually that big of a deal and they treat the students who have ADHD as if they're these little badass kids. And you kind of, that's why you have to check in with your children and make sure they have this safe environment that they know that they can come talk to you and say, hey, this teacher is really shitty to me. You know, or this teacher doesn't, isn't fair to me. They aren't giving me the ability to um, have the accommodations that we discussed with the, th uh, the counselor. Now, of course, your kids aren't gonna come to you and say it that way, but you, you, you know, in their language, they will kind of tell you, and then you can kind of go back to the counselor and say, you know, because part of the system of, of working with teachers 
is making sure that the, the accommodations that the kids need, they may need longer times when they're testing, they may need uh, a more, a stricter um, um, sense of uh, placement of where they sit so that they're closer to the teacher, there's less distractions around them. They, mean, they mean, may need their tasks broken down into simpler, smaller uh, pieces. And that may be where the, the parents and teachers uh, can work together to say, hey, these are the, the chapters that the, the kids are supposed to read. Um, and this is a kind of a smaller breakdown of the chapters so that, or these are summaries of the chapters that your kids can read through to kind of get a sense of where they need to have a little bit better understanding. And you have to really start figuring out the different patterns and methodologies that your child needs on an individual level for how they learn. Are they an auditory learner? Are they a visual learner? Are they a kinesthetic learner? What combinations of those three are they? And once you know that, that can kind of guide you in the direction of like how to give your child the, the tools to learn in the way that they learn the best. And if you're working with the teachers and doing that, if you're working with the counselor and doing that, and if you're working with a psychiatrist and making sure your kids are medicated um, the way that they you know, feel is appropriate for them, then you start seeing a lot of really uh, huge improvement in the children's behaviors and the children's learning methodologies and the children's um, independence and ability to communicate. You see a huge uptick in those. And that's what we saw in my son. And we saw that in my daughter because we caught it earlier because since we knew that ADHD was uh, hereditary, we went back and we said, okay, let's check, uh, you know, my daughter. And then I'm taking that lesson into with my twin toddlers to say, I'm not going to wait for my kids to be diagnosed with ADHD. I'm going to build the environment from the ground up and I'm going to provide this environment because even if they're neurotypical and they don't have ADHD, that environment of structure, that envir environment of safety and communication will still allow them to thrive and allow them to be able to express themselves and uh, explain what they're kind of looking for and follow their passions. And, and that will help them out no matter what. So if you had any advice you could give to a parent whose child has just been diagnosed with ADHD and they know absolutely nothing about it, and this kid is starting kindergarten, what would you tell them to help them as they start their journey? Learn as much as you can about ADHD. And, you know, really, really immerse yourself with understanding um, what ADHD means, what the signs are, what the uh, signals that you can uh, learn to, um, how you can learn to communicate with your child. Um, and, you know, if there's support groups out there, there's a ton of them on Facebook. There's a ton of them out. Uh, um, there's a, a Chad, C-H-A-D-D. There's the Attitude Mag. Um, these are great resources for people to kind of learn and understand how to deal with ADHD in their kids. Also, get tested yourself. Uh, because, again, ADHD is hereditary, and it's, and it's likely that if one of your children has it, one of the parents has it. And so that will actually help you as well, because that's how I found out I had ADHD was I said, okay, well, let me, the more I kept exploring ADHD, the more I was like, oh, I deal with that. Oh, I deal with that. Oh, huh. That makes sense. 
oh, I think I have ADHD. <laughs> and so then I talked to my psychiatrist about it, got tested, and of course, you know, I scored amazing on that test. <laughs> yeah, um, all those years of school. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, but the more you learn about it, the more tools that you will have to give um, to to be able to provide the environment that you, your children, and yourself need. Because again, like even if you have kids who are neurotypical, building an environment where they have that trust and they know that they can communicate their needs, they know that they can explore their passions, they know that they can, you know, come to you without judgment, no matter what, building that environment is always going to work no matter what for any child. And, and that's just the biggest thing I tell parents, build that environment around your kids so that they can trust you and don't spank them. Don't don't do things, don't belittle them, don't treat them, you know, negatively as much as you can. Put in very firm boundaries and, and, and explain them to the children and then make sure that you're being very, very, uh, very clear in the boundaries and expectations and the limitations that you need the child to adhere to. Uh, they, because, you know, one of the things that I have the biggest problem with is telling my kids, Hey, stop that. What do you want me to stop? So what you need to do is instead say, Hey, why don't you play with the toy this way? Or, Hey, you need to be gentle with the kitty cat. Don't, don't punch the kitty cat. That's very, the boots <laughs> doesn't like that. Um, I'm not saying that my two-year-old has totally done that. Uh, you know, so, so it's also kind of changing your own mindset to understand how to set up an effective discipline system, uh, be proactive in, in how you teach, uh, your kids to behave, be proactive in, you know, rewarding appropriate behavior, cheer on like all those different, um, uh, successes that they make. Like it's a lot of people sit here and think it's really cheesy. I mean, I've gotten actually got to look at this at, at the playground where my kid just climbs a ladder and I'm like, dude, that was awesome. Great job. Like my kid just climbed a ladder and, you know, and I get these weird looks, from it. but every success that your child makes, you need to praise them for it. And it, it doesn't matter how small they are. Like, it, and it, you know, that just makes them understand that you're always going to kind of be in their corner. And that's what will cause that will, that's what will build your child up. That environment of safety and trust and love and acceptance will always do so much for your children. It's one, and that's one of the biggest things I want people to take away from this. Thank you. It's been half an hour, a uh, very, very fast half an hour. So thank you so much for coming on and talking on this subject. I think it's really important that parents understand the mental health of their kids and the environment that their kids are being raised in. So thanks for shedding some light on really how that all, how a parent can apply some of the um, techniques um, used with 
ADHD to helping either their kids and themselves with ADHD or creating that environment. Um, this has been Retrospection Radio Live. Uh, I am Noah Martin, and tonight I was joined by Shane Thrapp. One last time, thank you. And thank you for having me on. Absolutely. And we will be back. Uh, we've got Michael Overly coming on in two weeks again. And from there, we're looking at maybe releasing a few interesting things. I've been working on the history of the Slender Man, and uh, I was thinking maybe I'll, maybe I'll live stream that episode to uh, talk a little bit more about mental health and how that impacted the story of Slender Man which is a story I don't think, I think most people know, but I don't think they quite understand what the mental health was behind the story of Slenderman. So if you or loved one experience depression or mental health or suicidal thoughts or are unsure about you know, a diagnosis with ADHD or if they have ADHD or any other mental uh dilemma, I'll say, that you're struggling with, please, please, please feel free to reach out to the people in your life and talk and see if you can think things through and work together. Um, That will lead to better times in your life and good things happen. The people in your life are there for you and they love you. Just remember that. Have a good evening. Thank you for listening to Retrospection Radio Live.